CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We have so much to talk about on uh, today's show, uh, so I want to get right to introducing our panel. Uh, it's Thursdays, which means uh, my partner from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is now editor-at-large, Kevin Riley. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well, Bill, and it's good to be with you, as always, on a great Thursday. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show today, as usual, uh, Kevin. Don Lowry, uh, GPB News' host of Lawmakers, and now uh, doing some work as a uh, reporter for GPB News, joins us as well. Hi, Donna. Yeah. Hi, Bill. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back in the swing of things on a day-to-day basis, and I'm enjoying it. So that's good. Glad to be here. I'm well, we're glad to have you uh, giving us some of your reporting skills. Uh, people in the North Georgia area know that for years you were one of the best-known TV reporters in the market, uh, having been, among other things, the education reporter at 11 Alive for years. We're really glad we can take advantage of your talents at GPB. Raul Bali is back Thanks. with us today. He, of course, is a politics reporter at WABE. Raul, um, you and Chuck Williams, who I'll introduce in a, uh, in a minute, are both headed to Columbus for the big Republican State Party convention uh, tomorrow. Uh, should be fun, Raul. Anytime I get to hang out with Chuck Williams, it's always fun. <laughs> and Chuck Williams is with us. He's a reporter at WRBL-TV in Columbus and a longtime uh, journalist in the Columbus market, having worked in print there for many years before making the switch to uh, uh, TV. Uh, Chuck, it's always fun when a big event like a convention comes to your own city. Bill, it really is. I mean, on my morning walk with my wife this morning, we walked by the hall where the convention, by the trade center where the convention is going to be held. So this thing is literally in my neighborhood. And really, at least I don't have to drive. Y'all have to drive to me this this. Well, a lot of the state news we're going to talk about today really does point to the GOP convention in uh, Columbus. Um, So we're probably going to start with a conversation about all of what can be happening around the hall as the convention convenes tomorrow. Um, Also, there have been some major developments in terms of the Atlanta Police Training Center that we're uh, going to get to today and much more. But Kevin Riley, let me start with this, because this is going to play into the convention. Uh, we learned overnight that the Department of Justice has now informed Donald Trump's lawyers that Trump is, in fact, a uh, basically um, a target of their investigation into the classified papers that the special counsel has been investigating for some time. And of course, Donald Trump arrives for the state convention on Saturday. But but Kevin, uh, we have never before in modern American times seen a president identified as the target of a criminal investigation. Right. So uh, once again, uh, Donald Trump makes some history, maybe not the kind he he was hoping to make. Uh, But, you know, I think it's important to say that he is quoted by The New York Times to say no one has told me I'm being indicted. So we will have this question. If you're indicted and no one has told you, does that mean you're really indicted, apparently? So um, (laughs) we're going to see uh, we're going to see how this plays out. But the, the process of a target letter and the, the conversation where a potential defendant is going to be indicted as part of the routine. And that's what really this all this reporting centers around is meeting with Trump's lawyers. This supposed target letter means he's been told. Um, but we haven't had anything that actually has concretely happened in the public eye. And that's what everyone's waiting for. Um, one of the things that being a target uh, means uh, is that now his lawyers will have an opportunity, uh, should it uh, they make want to make it available to themselves, 
to appear before the grand jury and argue their case as to why whatever plans the Department of Justice may have to invite indict Trump uh, shouldn't uh, move forward with that. So there's actually, uh, Raul, a practical implication to being identified as a target in this case. Yeah, I mean, it changes. We saw this with the with the Fulton County probe as well, that it, it, it changes approaches and the way things sometimes are done. I mean, you, you had you saw some of the attorneys change around um, with some of the defendants here. Look, as you mentioned, Chuck and I will be at the Georgia GOP convention. And, and you know, this is probably one of the topics we'll hear about, along with Fonnie Willis, along with Brian Kemp, along with Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger. So these are all things that, that I, 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 my ears are going to be perked up and listening for uh, when the former president makes his way to Columbus. Well, Chuck, let's talk about the Republican convention and Trump's role in it. First of all, give us some information. You told us before the show started that you just had a conversation with the state chair of the Republican Party, David Schaefer. What did he tell you about what to expect over the weekend? Um, talked to David just before we came on, Bill, and he says right now they have nearly set 2,700 paid votes. That is delegates alternates and guests. So that's people that's paid. That's not counting people like Raul and myself who are journalists. So they don't have a number yet on how many journalists, but last year they had about 2,600. David told me this morning, without question, this will be the biggest convention, largest convention in the history of the Georgia GOP. And, you know, it's starting to you're starting to see that see you're starting to see that in town. I mean, it, there's a there's a trucking the truth Trump podcast bus that's here. I mean, things that are here ahead of this are kind of coming into downtown Columbus. So, you know, there will be massive media. Trump's supposed to get here early afternoon uh, um, on Saturday, and then he will go. He's scheduled to speak two two o'clock ish at the. Uh, con- it's held at the Ironworks Convention and Trade Center. It's a large hall with multiple large rooms. So they'll be moving the convention around from dinners in one room to speeches in the other. And, you know, they what David told me, they have sold 900 tickets for Friday night's dinner with Carrie Lake, the former Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate. That's the most they've sold for an event like that. And they've sold 500 breakfast tickets for Asa Hutchinson on Saturday morning. That's a that'll be a pretty big crowd for Asa Hutchinson to be talking to. I don't I haven't seen many photo ops where he's had 500, 600 people in a room listening to him. So, so you know, uh, a lot of people. So, Donna, let's pick up on some of what uh, Chuck talked about. First of all, David Schaefer, chair of the party, steps down, and there will be an election for a new party chairman, David Schaefer, identified as one of the fake electors. He has been uh, told by uh, Fonnie Willis he's the target of her investigation because of his participation in uh, 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 allegedly efforts to overturn the 2020 uh, election here. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas, one of the candidates for president, along with Donald Trump and Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, uh, will all be at the convention as well. But so, Donna, will be um, who knows how many of those 25, 26, whatever, 2,700 people will be MAGA Republicans set to try to take over completely the mechanism of the state party. Yeah, I think that's what everybody's looking to. It's interesting, you know, it's in Columbus. Chuck has mentioned all these numbers and how large it's going to be, whether it would be different if it were in the metro Atlanta area. And I I know Chuck has the background on why it's down in that area. But I think that um, we're that's the big that's the big news is what's going to happen, where we're going to see the the changes happen. We know that there are more. more mainstream Republicans, I'll use that that term, uh, like the governor, that Governor Kemp is not going to be there. A lot of this, you know, the state leadership not going, the uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger not going, uh, and others. Uh, and so that that kind of changes the tone of things. 
And uh, I don't know if we'll ever know whether part of the the swelling of the, of the number of people going has anything to do with that. And there, this is a real push for the MAGA Republicans to really um, to make their views known or whether we'll see some pushback because we don't have uh, the, some of those state GOP leaders there. So uh, there's a lot um, to come out of what, what happens this weekend, I think. Kevin? Donna makes a great point. I mean, really what the question is, what will the tone of this thing be and what will the results of it be in terms of leadership of the party? Um, and I mean, think about it. As Donna noted, I mean, the governor is not going to be there. Other key uh, and important and influential and popular Republicans are not going to be there. But as we've reported in the jolt this morning, our favorite election conspiracy theorist Garland Favorito will be there. And I don't know if any of you have ever sat through one of his presentations, but I mean, if you're interested in deep and lengthy and confusing uh, rabbit hole to go down, you ought to go to that luncheon, Chuck. I mean, I think you, you know, uh, you will enjoy it. It's like uh, it's like reading a fantasy novel, because by the end, you don't know where you've been or why you've been there. But somehow people believe what he's got to say. Raul and then Chuck. I think we already, but I think we already have kind of a sense of maybe where this is going. The speaker, the original dinner night speaker, was former Vice President Mike Pence. It is now former Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. So I, I think we already kind of have a sign of maybe where this direction is going. As mentioned, you know, Governor Kemp's not going to be there. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is not going to be there. And and in a story, in a conversation I had with a governor, which a part of it uh, I re-aired in my story today, he was very pointed. It's not he's he's like, look, the party worked against me, and he's looking forward to new leadership. I've talked to some of those candidates, like Josh McCoon, like uh, Rebecca Yardley, and they both said, look, we're going to try to reach out to Governor Kemp. But yes. This convention is important because it will give us a sign of direction of the party itself, not the rank and file, uh, you know, the, the people who vote all the time, but, but the but the party apparatus and where it's going. Raul's exactly right. And, you know, two interesting things I'll say. One, Richard Smith, the most powerful Columbus Republican. He's House Chairman of the House Rules Committee. Richard Smith is not going to be here. In, uh, for the GOP convention in Columbus, Georgia, where he lives. And I talked to him this week, and I said, where are you going to be? And he said, I'm out of town. I said, okay. And we ended the conversation. Richard was very pointed. He said, I am a Kemp Republican. What you're going to see here is Kemp Republicans and Trump Republicans. And I think Mike Pence or Mike Pence's people saw that. Mike Pence... Originally, what the Georgia GOP said was Pence is pulling out because he's going to be having a CNN town hall and he's announcing the presidency. Well, Vice President Pence's town hall was last night. I mean, you know, he could have gotten from Iowa to Columbus in two days. I think he can make that trip. I talked to Brian Robinson, a political consultant many of us know, and interviewed him earlier this week, and he said, the optics for Pence two days after announcing he's running for president to be in a room of seven, eight, nine hundred people and literally get food. That optics was not something they were willing to take a chance on. So you can assume, and that's dangerous, that Pence pulling out tells you what the crowd is going to be, in my opinion. Uh, I want... I want to come back to Mike Pence in just a couple of minutes because, of course, he announced his candidacy for president uh, yesterday, and he had a town hall uh, with Dana Bash on CNN last night. And there's some interesting aspects that I want to get to on that because they relate uh, to Donald Trump. But, Donald, let me uh, 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 talk about a different scenario that also may play out uh, in Columbus starting tomorrow. Um Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, is one of the speakers 
The 14th District Congresswoman has been a darling of the MAGA right for several years now, but suddenly, because she chose to vote with Kevin McCarthy on the debt ceiling deal, she's now being demonized by people like Steve Bannon and other far-right conservatives who claim she's become a rhino. It's going to be fascinating to see what kind of reception Marjorie Taylor Greene may get when she speaks in front of this crowd, many of whom are Trump loyalists. Not only the reaction that they'll have to her, but how she'll react to them, I think, is always key because she's going to push back. She already is pushing back on those who are upset with her on um, the way she voted on the debt ceiling. Uh, but she, I think she feels, you, I always get the impression that she feels confident about anything that she does and that she will get in there and work her way to try to, to change things, uh, moving a little bit more in her direction. But it will be, it will be different. I. I would be surprised if we see uh, the booing that they uh, may have anticipated with Mike Pence, but uh, she certainly is in a different position than she would have been a few weeks ago if we hadn't seen what happened with, with the debt ceiling and her siding with uh, Kevin McCarthy. I don't know about the fact that we may not hear boos. The, the state Republican Party has a history of booing even some of their favorites. <laughs> Nathan Deal, as governor, was booed at the state convention. Uh, Brian Kemp, just two years ago, was overwhelmingly booed when he took the stage. Who? I, so that's why I think the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, appearance there is going to be really fascinating. Uh, before we move on, uh, Kevin... One of the other things about this convention Saturday is, although Trump has been on Truth Social responding to the uh, target letter that his lawyers received from DOJ, I think I'm right. I haven't looked at his campaign schedule, but Saturday afternoon may be the first time we're going to see him in a setting where he gives a speech in which he'll have a chance to attack the uh, D Department of Justice, maybe Mike Pence. Uh, maybe Ron DeSantis, but uh, it, Georgia may get the first real taste of Trump's backlash. Yes, and how appropriate would that be, uh, Bill? I'm concerned, though. You don't think Chuck and Raul are going to be booed there. I mean, I, I, I may go down there just to be the one person in the audience clapping for them because uh, they're wa they're walking right into the fire. But yeah, and I think that that again, if 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 it is the first time we hear from Trump uh, after this talk of indictment or if the actual indictment is issued, it'll be it'll fall right back into that pattern of it's not about the election, it's not about policy. It's not about it's about my grievances, which is really the criticism that the uh, opposition that's emerging in the Republicans uh, among the Republicans to Trump. That is the theme that they're picking up, that we cannot we cannot base our entire plan for the election based on one man's grievances. I, and I think that's a, a powerful point to make. But boy, is he in a spot where that those grievances will be well received? Uh, Chuck, uh, I spent. I mentioned the Pence announcement and the Dana Bash interview uh, last night. I want to play just a little of it because it's the sort of thing that Trump may very well want to respond to. We put together a little montage of uh, the observations that P Pence made in response to Dana Bash's questions in which he was quite critical of his former, as he calls him, my running mate from 2020. Uh, let's listen. Just to be clear, are you saying that a vote for Donald Trump is a vote against the Constitution? When the president asserted that I had the right to overturn the election, I said today that I, I felt that he was, he was asking me to choose between him and the Constitution. I chose the Constitution. I said today President Trump was wrong then, he's wrong now. Donald Trump says he is, quote, inclined to pardon many members of the mob who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Would you consider pardoning any of them? I have no interest or no intention of pardoning those that, that assaulted police officers, vandalized our Capitol. Your former boss, Donald Trump, said uh, in his CNN town hall, he was asked whether he wanted Ukraine to win the war, and he would not say. What message does that send to Vladimir Putin? Frankly, when Vladimir Putin rolled into Ukraine, the former president called him a genius. 
I know the difference between a genius and a war criminal. So, Chuck, um, the door is opening a bit for other Republican candidates to begin more openly attacking Donald Trump. Uh, Certainly Chris Christie has already begun doing that when he made his announcement. So I I suppose we can expect that Trump will give as good as he has gotten this week on Saturday. Oh, there's no question about that. First, Kevin, I get food in Columbus by people that live here. So people (laughs) coming in to boo me is not going to be any big deal. Uh, um, But, you know, I am very interested in hearing former President Trump's speech on Saturday for a number of reasons. One, Chris Christie came out this week after it, former Vice President uh, Pence, and you, as you just heard, I mean, basically, that's as strong as you've heard him talk about what happened January 6th and where he stands right now on his former boss. I want to hear how former President Trump addresses this. And and for one reason, one reason only, I'm a journalist. Any journalist in this country would want to be in that room on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon because you're going to see things that are historical in nature and you're going to hear things that are historical in nature. As a journalist, one, I can't believe it's coming to my backyard, literally. But as a journalist, this is where you want to be. Raul, is that where you want to be? Absolutely. I mean, because look, we're politics reporters. This is where we want to be, you know. Um, and, and I got to say, if if I get booed, it will actually not be the first time this week I cover the Atlanta City Council hearing <laughs> on Monday. And let's just say a few people who were against the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center were not happy with reporters. Um, so uh, that that's uh, that that kind of comes with the job. But I I I also the people that I also want to talk to. I want to talk to the Kemp Republicans who are there, you know, as 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 Chuck calls them. I want to see what their reaction is. You know, I actually had a conversation with a delegate this morning and and he's just like, OK, I understand, you know, there's going to be a lot of conversation about the 2020 election. What is the is that going to be the argument uh, for next year's elections? Up and down the up and down the ballot. Yes, there's not a governor's race or a secretary of state, but there's still the, there's all the uh, all the members of Congress and every member of the legislature on the ballot next year. So I think that as much as there's going to be the discussion of you know what happened in 2020 and even what happened in 2022, what is going to be the approach in 2024 is just as important of a question. Donna and Kevin, before we uh, move on and take our first break, a couple of points. Um, uh, We've already heard from uh, Raul and uh, Chuck about the the Kemp Republicans who will be at the convention. Yesterday on our show, uh, Eric Tannenblatt, who of course considers himself a mainstream Republican, said he is hopeful that with the election of a new chair, David Schaefer pushed the party so far to the MAGA right, he is hopeful that with a new chair it is possible that the Republican Party may uh, reorient itself and start moving a bit back toward the middle. I think he's overly optimistic uh, in that regard. We'll see as the convention plays out. But, But here's the other point. If the Republican Party of Georgia continues its move to the far right, that's not just uh, troubling news for the Republicans who don't want to see it head that way. It's really bad news for all of us on either side of the aisle because you've got to have two parties that are viable and can compete for ideas that they will sell to their voters. Yeah, I think everybody feels that same way to, to see either party go dramatically one way or the other, I think is a problem. Um, so I think that we'll we'll all be watching to see what happens. New leadership is good. 
but the 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 tone of this particular convention as we see it now with the the, the people they have speaking makes me think that at least with that leadership they've chosen to allow these people because they've allowed them to speak that they are still um at least making sure that that far right faction gets a say in what is going to take place with the state um at least to allow them maybe to to have a, this forum um, whether or not things are able to move closer to the middle afterwards i think we'll that's what we'll all be waiting to see but this weekend i think is going to be i i just from the speakers and alone i think is going to be really focused on more the MAGA Republicans than those who will be absent, um, the Kemp Republicans, and um, what they may be looking to see happen in the state. A final note, uh, there is a certain irony to the fact that we learned that overnight, Pat Robertson, the head of the Christian Broadcasting Network, died, 93 years old. And here's why it's ironic that his death comes right before the state Republican convention. The last time that Republicans had a convention as tumultuous as this one could be, the last time there was an effort for the far right to take over the party was in 1988, and it was the Pat Robertson Republicans, because remember, he was running for president that year. It was the Pat Robertson Republicans who caused chaos in the convention hall that year in Albany. Will we have a similar experience in 2023? Well, we'll find out on Friday and Saturday. Time for our first break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Donna Lowry, Raul Bali, Chuck Williams, and Kevin Riley join us for today's political uh, rewind. Um, Kevin, let's talk about the events uh, that surrounded the Atlanta uh, Police Training Center uh, vote in city council this week. It was pretty remarkable to uh, look at the front page of the AJC um, the day after the vote and see virtually every story on the front page had something to do with the police training center. Of course, there was a marathon public uh, comment a session that lasted until the early morning hours, some 14 hours uh, before the council voted. But once the vote came down, it didn't seem to have much impact. 11 to 4 in favor of giving the 30 plus million dollars to the construction of the training center, plus the annual $1.2 million in a leaseback arrangement that nobody seemed to know about until just a few days before city council voted. So, Kevin, it's been an extraordinary week, and there are new developments we'll talk about with this panel in just a minute. It's really hard to remember an issue that has completely captured the city's attention and created this kind of, uh, I don't know what you would even call it, a battle, an argument, a, a wrestling for the future of the city, but it just, I mean, to have a city council meeting go on till whenever it was, 5.30 in the morning, is an amazing thing. I mean, some people would argue it's democracy at work. But in the end, as you as you know, Bill, um, council hasn't changed its mind. Uh, Raul, you were there. Uh, just give us a sense of what the flavor of, of the atmosphere was like in, in that room, that city council room, overnight. I, the most interesting thing was how how city council president Doug Shipman handled the meeting. You know, in previous meetings, he, he tried to keep the noise down. He tried to keep the cheering down. This meeting, he just allowed it. And that was the first thing that you noticed was 
between speakers, you would have the chance, you know, the stop cop city chance, you, you know, it will never be built chance. Uh, they allow, he allowed a lot more rope, you know, in terms of language. I mean, we, there were times, I mean, a couple of times where I had picked out audio clips and then had to drop it because of the cursing. Um, he just allowed a lot more to be said, to be yelled at, screamed about. Uh, the the other thing was the vast majority of the speakers, vast, and I mean vast, vast majority, were against it. Um, but you know, they you had the sense that the audience thought they were moving votes, and then when you would talk to the council members behind the scenes, like when they would be out in the hallway eating something, it was clear it wasn't moving moving people. It it was. It was something, though, you know, to have public comment go to 3.45 in the morning and then the eventual vote in the 5 a.m. hour. And then suddenly it was over. So it was. You're right. It was a representation of democracy in terms of everyone got their say. Everybody who signed up or showed up eventually got their say. Um, but it did not move the members of the council. Donna, um Let's talk about development since the vote. I'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that yesterday morning on Political Rewind, before even before a news conference announced this, we were able to break the news that uh, groups of pro, a group of the protesters are now calling for a referendum of Atlanta voters to determine whether or not they want the police training center to be built. And they're basing their... Uh, the legitimacy of doing this on what happened um, when uh, uh, the the, the uh, residents down surrounding the area where a spaceport was being proposed, um, when they voted against the spaceport, the county commissioners said, we're doing it anyway. Uh, residents took it to the state Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court said, sorry, a referendum of voters matters. You cannot proceed with this. And the protesters uh, believe they have the same potential power in uh, getting a referendum on the ballot here on the police training center. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Camden County group who who filed for this, had the re referendum, have developed a model now that uh, other groups may follow mm -hmm. in terms of uh, it. In, things that are jurisdictions that um, politicians pass and local jurisdictions and now they can um, to fight those kinds of things and i think it may have come as a surprise to some members of the atlanta city council because uh, the vote was so strong for this uh for for the um the police training center but now camden county's people have said okay you know just because we elected you and said that you're in these positions doesn't mean that you have the final say and we have uh there's a way of being able to change this and the people who are fighting what what happened on um, early this week on monday now know that citizens can make a difference and they feel emboldened by that and we're going to see what happens with this uh a proposal for this referendum to actually take it to the voters and see what they think. Raul, Raul, since you've been following this pretty closely, let me come back to you on this and make a couple points. Uh, number one, they've got to get something like 70 plus thousand signatures, legitimate signatures of people who are registered to vote in the city of Atlanta by August. That's going to be a daunting uh, challenge. Plus, um, the ruling of the state Supreme Court applied to counties like Camden County. There are questions as to whether it can also apply to a city. So um, the, the protesters are hoping the state Supreme Court would say, yes, cities are included as well. But those are just a couple of the challenges they faced in trying to get this on what would be the school board ballot in November. I, I don't think we can just gloss over what we're talking about. Seventy thousand signatures that's that's the big difference between this and camden county um you know a significantly smaller let me, let me give you a bit of perspective two years ago seventy-seven thousand people voted in the mayor's race you're literally talking about just about every person who voted in the mayor's race that's the kind of numbers we're talking about here that is a amazingly 
big task that that they're they're trying to take on. Um, you know, this is what exciting people like me and Chuck and Kevin do, and Donna do. We I was reading the Georgia Code um, on this, and and to me, you know, playing a lawyer on the radio, it looks like pretty similar language that you know you have to get you know fifteen percent of of registered voters to get this thing on the ballot. So again, I think with all the other things people are talking about, you've got to fo- to me focus on. Can they get this number of signatures and more importantly, get those signatures verified and get this on the ballot? Once it gets on the ballot, you know, off your election, anything goes. Yeah, I think Raul makes a a lot of great points. And what I see on our horizon is um, on one hand, I think the argument that, okay, can we finally settle whether this is an issue that the majority of citizens are concerned with? and don't agree with the plan, or is it a small vocal group of people who disagree? And in fact, many people are very supportive of the project. I I hear from people on both sides who believe one or the other. But I, I also see on our horizon a lot of legal maneuvering, a lot of legal challenges to whether this can be on the ballot. And, and right, if I understand it, Raul, and, you, and I did not uh, go read the code, that's the difference between someone who's announced their retirement and someone who hasn't. Um, the the, the <laughs> The council itself has to ultimately approve putting it on the ballot. Am I right? I don't know. I'll just be very honest and say I don't know. Yeah, we can probably do a whole show, Bill, on trying to find someone who's an expert in municipal uh, law in Georgia <laughs> to figure out um, you know, what's going to happen here. Because both sides are going to go to the wall um, <laughs> with trying to maneuver each other. I just think that's what will happen. But now I know Chuck, who I'm going to um, call next because I have one in mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ch- Chuck, we've talked about the Atlanta Police Training uh, Center uh, story all week, and, and I recognize that our show is statewide. And so there are people in other parts of the state that don't have the same uh, interest in the story, perhaps, uh, what, maybe watching it from a distance, finding it to be interesting. But, but here's why I think it's applicable well beyond uh, City of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta. What's reflected in a lot of this is a mistrust among many people, particularly people of color, of the police in their communities. And and I want to be careful because the protesters in Atlanta are not just people of color. There are many uh, white protesters who feel suspicious about the training center as a place where police are going to be militarized. So this has a much broader uh, application than just what's going on with the police training center. I think you're right, Bill. But also, the you know we've had our own police issues down here in Columbus, but they've centered around leadership. Of um, there was a lack. There were issues within the leadership. The chief has been uh, as retired. With a uh, with a severance package, an interim chief is in there looking for a, a new chief. We're down well over a hundred officers in this in this county. So we've had I mean, police issues or policing issues are not just in Atlanta. You know, I mean, we've got Georgia State Patrol spending more time. You know patrolling our streets and our highways here inside Muskogee County. That's directly related to policing issues. They need them because they need those guys on the street. So I think people outside of Atlanta are paying attention attention to this training center issue, you know, because it matters. And, you know, Atlanta can sometimes appear to be this big object that's far away that doesn't impact the lives for, of many of us in the rest of Georgia. But this is one of those issues I think that does. And I think people from the rest of Georgia, the other Georgia, should be paying close attention to this because I think it does. Donna, let me give you a last word on this before we take our break. I, I just think I, I know that uh, Raul and uh, Raul has talked about the fact that there it may be tough to get these uh, these signatures. I just feel that what from what we saw 
on Monday at that meeting, the momentum that's there, the major groups that are against this. Um, we've seen leaders from, uh, you know, um, Bernice King with the King Center to uh, even some, some questioning by by other leaders, the NAACP. I think that the and and the main thing is there won't be have to be a lot of explaining about what this is all about because the, of so much publicity because of what you mentioned at the beginning with the AJC having it at the front of the paper. This is a major issue. I think there is momentum for a lot of for, for a lot of people who are opposed to this to really focus on getting these 70,000 plus signatures in the 60 days that they have to do that. And um, I just think that they're, they're, the feeling is we're going to show them that um, elected officials that we have we have some um, something to say here and we're we're going to let you know that you you can't just decide for us on things that it's um, that we don't feel um, that you're representing us truly you're really representing us in uh in your votes so i don't know i i just see more momentum happening with all of this well actually before we take a break raul one more uh element of this that i want to ask you to address uh, some of this some of this could have been avoided i mean the city the mayor of atlanta andre dickens before him uh his predecessor uh, could who was the one who actually put this in motion? The Atlanta Police Foundation, which is most responsible for getting this thing off the ground and has remained way underground, off the radar completely. No one, no one on the pro uh, police center side has done a good job in explaining this to the people of Atlanta. And that means going back a couple of years, they have never done the right job. And now they're getting back what their failure to communicate correctly has is meaning. Yeah. Earlier this week, you had Ed Lindsay on and, and he's as pro uh, training centers. And he laid it out. I think he laid it out best on your show that, yeah, the, so many things were mishandled, you know, and again, you talk about the lease back that people are all finding back at the, finding the lease back here kind of at the last second, you know, even though it may have been in there the whole time. And yes, when the mayor is saying, look, we're spending this kind of money already on training, so it's budget neutral. I understand what the mayor is saying, but in the end, was it properly communicated? And and you're right, starting from when former Mayor Bottoms first put this out there. Um, so, yeah, the, the communication has always been a challenge on this one, and it, can, it will continue to be. All right, so it appears we're going to be talking about this for months to come. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way back with more in a moment. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Kevin Riley, um, I, I want to take a couple of minutes to look at a story that uh, ran in the AJC that, that I thought was a really interesting example of um, how citizens, in a very personal way, sometimes engage in issues that are roiling us uh, in controversy. And in this case, it's the never-ending debate on the availability of guns, not just in Georgia, but across the country. Um, the, uh, the paper, and now I'm having trouble for some reason pulling it up on my, um, on my uh, browser, but the, the, the AJC ran a story about a man in Duluth named uh, John Waldron, who's the owner of a gun store uh, in Duluth. And he went to his daughter's school 
uh, his 10-year-old, I'm sorry, his son's school, at a time they were participating in an active shooter drill. And they were being told, here are the best places to hide. Here's what you have to do to protect yourself. And Waldron uh, uh, said in the interview that Maya Prabhu did with him, I said to the teacher, you're teaching the kids that are going to be the shooters where to find the most kids in one place. And he left that school and decided that he had to close his gun store because he said he recognized that he could be part of the problem and he didn't want to be the problem anymore. I think that's a remarkable story uh, to talk about. It is a it is a it is a remarkable story in every way uh, where this guy had a you know really I guess I, I would just say a crisis of of conscience where he said what I'm doing I shouldn't be doing and he he's careful to you know point out that he's not even sure what his next step is he's not going to look to sell off his guns he he just when he saw this happening in, in school and i think that it's an important story for this reason all of us on this on the show today are journalists and we know that when we do stories no matter how hard we work at them and how strong the statistical and objective information is it is the power of a simple story that changes people's minds, that touches their heart, that makes them see something different than, uh, and changes how they view something. And, and that's what happened here. It's both what happened to this man and then in the telling of the story, uh, revealing that um, we can change minds and hearts if we're patient enough to truly understand how people feel. Um, Donna, here's, here's one of the quotes uh, from the uh, story. I'm, this is Waldron. I'm still very Second Amendment. I just don't want to sell things. When you can buy something with me, then you can go somewhere, and they tell you that you can't bring your gun in, so you leave it in the car, and then it gets stolen and ends up in the hands of criminals who use the gun to commit crimes. And, of course, he's referring to what we know is an enormous problem, which is the theft of guns uh, from uh uh, cars that, that people have left their guns in. Yeah, I think we all know that there are, there are safe gun owners, that, that they're, you know, it's okay to have a gun, that kind of thing. But we are seeing too many of these guns in the hands of people who shouldn't be there, uh, shouldn't have them. Um, uh, his other quote was, I don't want to be part of a sick cycle of gun violence. And I think it scares every day, everyone. Every day we hear mass shootings somewhere. No part of our American world is safe graduation ceremonies, doctor's offices, grocery stores, um, not just the schools, parades, the list goes on and on. And I think for many people, it's too much. And while leadership seems to be kind of firm about just focusing on the Second Amendment rights, uh, which I think, uh, you know, so many Americans do believe in, the tide appears to be turning when it comes to average Americans in terms of gun safety. Uh, there was a Fox News poll conducted in April on gun control. And I'll read it. It shows that a majority of those polls want, of those polled want something done. 87% favor criminal background checks. 81% favor raising the legal age to carry guns to, to 21, 77% favor waiting periods of some kind, and 61% favor banning assault rifles. This is a Fox News poll. And I think the key will be whether leadership in this country, mainly Republican leadership in many ways, is interested in some type of change, something that controls some of these, um, some of what we see going on that's so frightening to so many. Chuck? Bill, one of the interesting parts about this, and y'all just touched on it, was the gun theft. One of our outstanding young reporters, Kenzie Beach, did a story just last night about the rise in property crime thefts here in Columbus. And he, the detective she interviewed said, point blank, they're looking for one thing, and they're looking for one thing only, and they're looking for guns when they hit these cars. And I had a sheriff over in Alabama tell me not long ago, he said, listen, if you're driving a truck and you got an NRA sticker on the back and you're leaving your truck unlocked and your gun inside it, you're advertising. He said, you're telling people what you got. And, you know, so... 
if you've got guns in vehicles, lock the vehicles or don't have them in there when you're not there. I mean, it's just it, that story that Kenzie did last night really brought it home to me. Um, Raul, let's bring this whole thing back to the Georgia legislature. Um, this last session, Michelle Ao, Democrat, of course, state representative, um, introduced a measure to uh, that would require uh, homeowners to lock guns up. Uh, and uh, ironic, interestingly, that measure got farther than almost any other gun safety measure has gotten in the legislature in decades, which meant simply it got a hearing in a committee, and then was quickly rejected. Uh, I don't think, given that we're moving toward the second year of a biennial session in January, there's any reason to believe we're going to see any other kind of progress on gun safety. I absolutely agree with you. There, the votes are simply not there, and there simply isn't the um, interest in leader by by Republican leadership of the legislature to move that kind of legislation or any kind of legislation that limits uh, guns. Um, but I, I, the one other point I would make is I don't see anything immediately on the horizon in terms of expanding um, what's happening with guns mm. either. So very much like abortion, I wonder if anything will move in either direction. Abortion could change, obviously, if there's a, a certain ruling by the Georgia Supreme Court. But when it comes to guns, I don't see anything happening here in the state of Georgia at the state level. All right, Raul Ball, you got the last word on today's show. Good luck down in Columbus. Chuck Williams, we're looking forward to your uh, analysis of what happens down there, Donald Lowry, and, of course, Kevin Riley. Thanks for being with us today. By the way, tomorrow we're going to look at the legacy that uh, Rosalind Carter has left us in terms of her work in mental health, in caregiving, with the CEO of both the Carter Center and the CEO of the Rosalind Carter Caregiver Institute. I'm really excited about that show as Mrs. Carter herself deals with dementia uh, right now. That's it for us for today. We're out of time, but we're back again, as I said, with our show tomorrow on Rosalind Carter. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and please just be kind to one another. Bye, everybody.